We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Well, hello, Crossroads again. My name is Pastor Brian Hunt. I'm the lead pastor here and so grateful that you are with us here today. As we've already talked about, man, do things change. Just week over week, we're, in, we're able to come back into church. Now we can't come into church. We are just back and forth all the time. It just seems like change is all around us, which is why I am so grateful that we're in a series that's called Uncharted. Uh, in fact, we're in week two of Uncharted. And the series is looking at the uncharted world that we live in that is constantly changing. And again, if this week has showed us anything, that is 100% true. I'll tell you if, you, if you miss week one, though, I'd encourage you to go back online and take a look. We looked at uncharted relationships last weekend. I believe it can impact a lot of people. But as we turn the corner today, we're going to look at another uncharted area of our life. And it just feels that with every turn, there is a new direction that we're asked to go in. And it can be really unsettling as that happens. And, and I think that we all want to feel settled in life. Like, I just believe that. And, and one of the ways that we've grown to feel settled in our life and comfortable in our world is when we have a, a good job and we have finances that are secure. You see, when we have a job that provides us enough money to, to pay our bills and to provide for a family, we feel secure. There's a sense of security with that. And life is much more enjoyable when you don't have to worry about where the next meal is coming from or if you're going to be able to pay the rent. There's security in having financial stability in your life. However, as we step out into this uncharted world, there is a real like, uncertainty about jobs and finance and, and the security that comes from having both of those. I would even say that even if your job is secure, you know that there are new responsibilities, there's new things to learn, there are new challenges to try to overcome. I, for some reason, it reminds me of a scene from The Hunger Games. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a crazy movie where these, these young kids are actually fighting for their lives to provide fruit, food for their communities. And, and as they get ready to go into this kind of crazy game, there's, the participants go underneath the playing surface to get ready to compete. Uh, and in the movie, uh, Hamish Abernathy, he's played by Woody Harrelson, is giving Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, kind of her final pep talk before she goes into the Hunger Games arena. And after the final instructions, Katniss gets into this small tube thing and they bring her up to the surface on an elevator. And then when she gets to the top, she steps out on the top and she's on the top of the platform and she sees the arena for the very first time. And in a matter of moments, they have to assess their surroundings. They have to decide their plan of attack. What are they going to do? And this booming voice counts down from 60 all the way down until the clock hits zero. And when that happens, all the contestants, they take off. And they do the very best they can in, the, in this game that's the survival of the fittest. Now, I think for many of us, we kind of feel that way with our life and with our jobs. We're, we're on the pedestal in the Hunger Games arena just trying to figure out how to survive. Like, what, what's our next move? What, what, what should we do? How, how will it all play out? And, and we want to get it right so we can provide for our families and that we can feel that stability that we all long for. But it's natural to kind of align our worth and our value with our jobs and our income. I mean, after all, it would be like, it would seem to be the easiest measuring stick to tell if someone's like really succeeding in life or if they're not. I mean, just drive down any neighborhood and if you see a nice house with a pool, with an RV, new cars, maybe a cute French bulldog in the front yard, you instantly think, man, they are living life. 
So, so what should we do when we're headed into uncharted times when our work and our finances are up in the air? Because let's be honest, just because you know Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're exempt from those worrying feelings that come about. I, I was reading a devotional in my YouVersion Bible app and uh, there was part of it that actually hit me really hard. It, it said this, it said, for the person who has accepted Jesus as Savior and made him Lord of their life, eternity in heaven with God is an awe-inspiring and hope-filled reality. Yet even with the joy of eternity in our future, the current stresses and worries in this world can often sidetrack us and keep our eyes on what's happening in the here and now. Which, the reason this was such like a slap to the head and a comfort to my soul at the same time is it was, it was kind of like God was telling me, and maybe he's telling you too, that, hey, if you're wrestling with your faith right now, you're not alone. If there's some moments when you find yourself crying in uncertainty that, that, that doesn't make you less faithful, it makes you human. And if you're having a hard time seeing God's plan through this whole thing, then, then man, you're in good company. But as quickly as I say that, I also want us to hear that God is bigger than our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, <clears throat> even our stresses. In fact, I love how Paul actually frames this in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, now think about this, a few things with me for just a second. Um, Paul starts off by saying that God is now to him who is able. Now, now that's really important. Really important to know that God is able. If God is not able, then we're in a whole lot of trouble. But it just said there that God is able, right? He's able to do immeasurably more. And as we said last week, we can't limit the size of our God, God toward the size of our biggest problem because God is bigger. God is not hindered by the economy or our financial uncertainty. God is powerful and he loves us so much that we can't even place like words to it. In fact, that's why he said that he could do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we can even, what did it say? That we could, that we could ask or imagine. Like, think about that. This means that he can do, what he can do cannot even be measured. It's beyond that. When you realize that God is able to do things that are so amazing that we can't even dream of it, that's pretty awesome. So, so, so what he has for us is outside of even our comprehension. It is immeasurable. And how he does that is really important. Because without the how, we could look at Jesus as like a, like a sugar daddy that's just you know, buying us stuff in exchange for us being good, for being good people. You know what I mean? And, and when that happens, like we might fall into that feeling of saying like, well, you know... If I do more, more good stuff, then, then God's going to love me more. Or, or I'm really strong, and so I might just be able to make my own happiness somewhere. But Paul quickly clears the air when he says that it is his power that is what? In work, right? It's, to, it's, it's his work within us. It's his power that is in work within us. It's God's power in us that does the immeasurably more. Not us trying to measure up. We will never measure up. And even with all the success and all the money and all the plans and all the confidence that we have, we will fall well short of the perfection that God demands and is worthy of. 
which is why Paul says to this very important, it is for to him be the glory. To him be the glory. Everything in our life should be deflected to God for him to get the glory. Because it's his power, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his creation. It's all his. But in our life, when we decide to take the glory, it it would be kind of like this. Let's say that we find the fanciest restaurant that you can go to. And let's just say in the entire world. Maybe you go to France. Maybe you go to Italy. Maybe you go someplace downtown. Like, you know, someplace really fancy. And like someplace fancy, preferably without paper napkins, plastic forks, and wait staff that come around on roller skates. You know what I'm saying? Like someplace really fancy. And when we get there, we order the most expensive dish that is on the menu. We get all the sides that the waiter tells us we should get. And when we eat that meal, we agree. It is the most amazing meal we had ever had in our life. And as we get done and we push away, all of a sudden they bring the bill. And we open up that with kind of a hesitation. But on the bill, it actually says that the chef paid for our meal. So we got a chance to have this amazing meal for free. And then we go home. We tell all of our friends, all of our family about this restaurant we went to, the meal that we had. And of course, when you say that to somebody, the first question they're going to ask is, well, well, what made it so good? What made it so good? And what would happen if we said in that moment, what if we said, well, the reason it was so good is because I cooked it. Yeah, I totally cooked it. I, I, you know, I told that chef, I'm like, hey, move over. You know, you're kind of a shalab. Move over. I'm going to cook this thing. And I cooked it. That, that was the reason that the meal was so amazing. No, it wasn't. Right? You weren't the reason that the meal was great. You burned SpaghettiOs in the microwave. That's your thing. You should not have your hands anywhere near a Wagyu steak, if you know what I'm saying. No, the reason your meal was great was because the chef that made it was amazing. And the best thing is, it didn't cost you a dime. See, that is what our lives should look like when we understand that it is God's power that is in our life that is sustaining us. It's nothing that we bring to the table. It's only through God that anything good happens. As James, the brother of Jesus, would say in James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is good and wants to give us good things in our life. Not not what we want, but what he sees as good for us. Make sure you know the difference. So, So as we head into this uncharted life, we must always keep these two things in mind at the forefront of our minds. First, is that God wants to and can do immeasurably more in your life. Know that. And secondly, God is good. And he wants good for you. And as we keep focused on on this good God, we don't settle for ungood things in our life because that which is ungood is not from God. We stay focused. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to be landing in a a book of the Bible. It's the book of Matthew, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you or maybe your Crossroads Grace apps, I'd encourage you to go to Matthew, chapter 6. If you're joining us, obviously, online, I want to make sure that your chat host is sending that link to the Bible right now so you'll be able to connect with that. Our online chat hosts are there for you to interact, and they'd love to do that for you right now. Uh, But before we dive in, I want to talk very practically for a second when it comes to our finances and our job and, and God. How does this all come together? Because what I see all the time, time and time again, from Christians or non-Christians alike, is, is when we start to have questions about our finances and our jobs, 
we will allow irrational fears to take over our minds and our hearts. That's why we're in the middle of this kind of uncharted life. So, so before I go too far, what I want to do is I want to give us five things to remember in the middle of an uncharted life. Now, two of them are going to focus on our jobs. Two of them are going to focus on our finances. And the last one's going to kind of focus on how God brings them all together. So five things, two on your job, two on your finances, one with God. Let's start with the first one. It says this. Never forget your priorities is the first one. Now, around here, we have this saying that is, we talk about the pyramid of priorities. The pyramid of priorities looks simply like this, is that we have God on the top, spouse, kids, and everything else. That this is the proper pyramid of priorities that we should have as followers of Jesus. That we should have God as our number one priority in our life over anything else. He is number one. That means your spouse is number two. That means your kids are number three. That means everything else, which is your job, your, your hobbies, whatever else, goes down into everything else. But what we do in our life is oftentimes we'll take our spouse and we'll elevate them over God. If we do that, we make them a little God. And when they can't fulfill all of our God expectations and they fail us, we say, what the heck's going on? What happened? And we see marriages crumble. We also see when people take their kids and they put them above God, what happens is they make these little idols Little Johnny's got to make it to the major leagues. Little Susie's going to be on the swim team at Harvard. You know, all these different things. We elevate them above our spouse and above God. And when they can't meet those expectations, we crumble. The very same thing happens with everything else. All those other things. And when we take our job and we place it where it shouldn't be, all of a sudden we're out of order. But I'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But what we need to know is that we need to have the right order. God, spouse, kids, everything else. If you have that foundation set then you're not going to be as easily swayed by irrational fears because you know what's most important in your life. But I said we would get to that. Let's talk about everything else a little bit more when we get to number two. Number two says your job can't complete you. Your job is in that, in that bucket called everything else. And, and it's hard not to see our jobs as part of who we are. But when we define our lives by the name on the door, we lose sight of who God says is on our souls. If we're more concerned about the name on the door as opposed to the name on our soul, we're missing it. If your priorities are in line, as we saw that just a second ago, if you had God, spouse, kids, and everything else, you understand that those top three, God, spouse, and kids, that's what completes you. Never your job. It's always those top three. They always will complete you. You're never your job. Your job does not love you. It does not care for you. It does not go on vacations with you. Unless, of course, you bring your cell phone on there and then that's your problem. But right, they don't cry with you. Your job does not hold your hand while you walk along the beach? No. Your job was never made to be that. It is a part of your life, absolutely, but it is not your life. Let me say it again. Your job is part of your life. It is not your life. And when we sacrifice our joy, our, our relationship with God, with our spouse, with our kids, at, and it, so we, if we sacrifice all that at the altar of our job, we are missing out on the true meaning of the life God has given us. So by keeping our priorities in line and not asking our job to do something it was never meant to do, we can avoid being let down. When the job stops being there, it changes, or does not love you back the way that you think it should. So those are two things about our job. But I want to build off of this, and let's look at this, how this affects our approach to our finances now. Next two, we're going to talk about our finances. And the third one here says, the first rule of holes, if you're in one, stop digging. The trap that we fall into is that we find when we find our value and put our priorities and our stuff over God is that we will buy things we can't afford in hopes it will fill a void we've created out of fear and insecurity. I see it time and time again. This is where we will sacrifice our future for the sake of our present. 
And when we do that, we put ourselves in the chains of debt that is so hard to break, it, it can become crippling. You might have seen this yourself. We, we buy brand new cars that depreciate 10% the second you drive it off a lot, and it depreciates 20% in the first year. We put pools in that we have to finance. We get lots of toys. We get campers and ATVs and boats and new trucks to pull them all. We do home modeling or remodeling projects like, like crazy all the time. And, and I want you to hear me very clearly. I am not against any of those things. I'll say it again. I am not against any of those things. None of them. As long as you don't have to go to in debt to do them. Because if you're in a hole to begin with, you can't keep digging and expect to get out of the hole. I know what you might be saying out there. You might be saying, well, oh, hey, listen, I don't mind being in a hole. Everyone has a hole they're in. What's the big deal, PB? And I might even believe you for a second. When your job is strong, your health is good, and the economy is great. Because you may be even able to, to smile while standing in your hole because you have all your stuff around you. I'm just fine. I'm doing good. But what happens when those things aren't good? What happens when those thin lines and those margins disappear? Here's what I know. The hole will still be there. And if you aren't able to climb out, you'll get buried. Solomon says this, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Do you know what the place is called when you can't pay your bills back back in the day? You know what they called that? That's called the dungeon. It's the hole. So, so debt is your dungeon. So in uncharted times of life, please do not dig further in, in the debt hole that you're in right now by buying more or getting more undisciplined. Guys, I understand, more than ever before, it's time to become more disciplined and start to work your way out of that hole. Listen, your chat hosts are going to put some resources that are available for you right now. If you're interested and need some more help with this, we'll place it on the app also. But we want to help you do this any way we can. And I would also encourage everyone, like everyone that has not done it yet, to take Financial Peace University this fall. It will change your life. And when you go through it, you're also going to hear about this next thing that we're going to talk about. I've just kind of changed the name a little bit. Number four is this. I want you to create a trouble bubble. A trouble bubble, okay? There is no doubt that emergencies will come up. Goodness gracious, we see things change all the time we never saw coming. We all have them. Just the other day, we had a major tune-up that we needed in Sheree, my wife's car, that we had forgotten that we needed. It was crucial that we get it done because she commutes to sack and, and, and back a few times every week. Every week. So, so these types of things we had to do. But those types of things, they come up all the time. You, you know it, I know it. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you may have heard this before. And if you're not familiar with your Bible and this whole like, church thing is new to you, man, I'm super glad that you're here. And it might be really interesting to you. But, but Jesus says these words in John chapter 16. And when he says them, he's not pulling any punches when he says this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, he says. This most likely comes as no surprise to you. If you have lived a fraction of a second, you have experienced this word right here. You know about some trouble. We, we all have. But even though we know it will happen, we have to be careful that we don't just sit back in the Jesus lounge chair, lounge chair called overcoming the world, you know, like, no, Jesus, you got this, all right? I'm just going to be over here just kind of hanging out, right? We can't think that we're not part of the overcoming process just a little bit. 
If we know that trouble will come and emergencies will happen, then what's our responsibility? Well, I think actually we see what Joseph does in Genesis 41 as a really good example of what we're to do here. So let me pull you up to speed on this amazing guy. So, so Joseph is a guy that knows about trouble. Guys, he was beat up by his brothers and thrown into a well and they left him there for dead. Only to later to come back, drag him out of the well and sell him into slavery. Somehow he reaches this high level of leadership in a home by the name of Potiphar. And then he gets falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown in jail for 10 years, forgotten about, threw away the key, left to die again only to be brought out of jail again into Pharaoh, the top dog's house, and be put in charge of the entire kingdom. And so with this type of wisdom and this type of authority, we get a chance to read about Joseph's plan for all of Egypt as a famine is going to come. Trouble is coming. And so as Joseph leads the people for all this trouble that's coming, I want you to listen closely to what he says. Genesis chapter 41, start in verse 34. It says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be kept in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So, so, so what we've learned is that if we can agree that trouble will come, what we need to know is that we should be ready for when trouble does come. And, and what Joseph does here is that he prepares when times are good for when trouble comes. I'll call it our trouble bubble. A trouble bubble is where you save up to reserve this, these monies so that when trouble comes, you can pop the bubble and it's there for you. This is a discipline my wife Shereen and I have lived by since we got married and is why when troubles like happen with our car come about, we don't freak out. We just pop the bubble and we pay for it because we had prepared. There is so much that is uncharted in this world to be sure, but check it out. Trouble is not one of them. We know that's coming. So why not be ready for that? When we stay out of debt, we're able to create our trouble bubble and not get caught off guard when the inevitable happens. But there is one last thing that we need to know about this uncharted life. And I want us to talk about how this all factors in with God. And it's this last thing. Is this last thing God wants you to know. God wants your trust. God wants your trust. He never forget your priorities. Your job can't complete you. The first rule of holes is if you're in one stop, create a trouble bubble. But God wants your trust. Despite everything we go through and all the practical things that we talk about, what God wants more than anything is for your heart to trust him. Which is where we get to turn our attention to Matthew 6 for the remainder of our time. Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is just kind of getting warmed up in this epic sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. In just one chapter in his message already, he's tackled evangelism, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, justice, enemies, the poor, prayer, and fasting. Those could easily take me the rest of my life to unpack. Jesus does it in about, I don't know, 15 minutes of reading. But he doesn't stop there. After all that he just talked about, he combines two very important concepts into a spiritual tongue and groove pattern. They become so interlocked that you can't tell where one starts and the other begins. And it's when Jesus has a discussion about money and worry. It is a complete measured response that will serve us well for the rest of our uncharted time of life. 
in one breath, Jesus challenges us by saying this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right out of the chute, clear admonishment about choosing, worshiping money, which is mammon, or choosing God. If you try to do either of those, your heart is split. There's no way. You have to choose one or the other. Neither money or status will fill the void that aches inside us all. But Satan wants to try to convince us that they can. And so with the prospect of job loss, reduced income, lifestyle changes... The first thing Satan will tell us to do is to move away from God and closer to the God of money, the God of mammon. Which is why before we could even provide a rebuttal and say, hey, hey, well, well, hang on, God. I know that's all true, but hey, what about my needs every day? Well, Jesus says, take a look at verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He goes over in in verse 34, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's that word again. Trouble, right? We can see it all the time, trouble. Jesus is looking at you and I right in the eyes, and he says, as we look at the uncharted life ahead of us, I want you to trust me. Trust me that I will provide. And therein lies the crux of our fear about this uncharted areas of our work, in our finances, in our future, in our life. It is the trust that God will and can provide. Now, I'll give you a little bit, a little visual example here today. Um, Wilt Chamberlain, he was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But listen very carefully, he is not a role model to be looked up to at all off the court by any stretch. But on the court, he was a tremendous athlete. Seven foot one, 275 pounds. He was a first round draft pick by the Philadelphia, actually Warriors, which turned into the San Francisco Warriors. Long story short, right? He played mainly for the Philadelphia 76ers. Check it out, 14 years he played, three teams. He averaged 30.1 points, 22.9 rebounds, 4.4 assists, played in 1,045 regular season games, won four MVP trophies, 13-time All-Star, and was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1979. But what he is most known for in his career may be on what happened on March 2nd, 1962 in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And on that night against the Knicks, Chamberlain scored in one game 100 points in a single game. 100 points. First quarter, 23 points. Second quarter, 18 points. Third quarter, 28 points. Fourth quarter, 31 points. But most notably about those 100 points, 28 of them were were scored from the free throw line. Now, what is a free throw? Okay, uh, well, a free throw is, is simply this. Um, in, in basketball, you get a chance to, uh, you, you, uh, you get a free throw when you get fouled when you're shooting. Maybe you make the basket and they foul you. Uh, if there's enough fouls on the other team, it's called a bonus. Long story short, it's a free shot from the foul line to be able to score a bucket. There's nobody that's guarding you. They're just all along the side there. And you have a chance to shoot a free throw. And so a free throw, you hope, is going to be one of those things. Bank, called it, bank, okay? is a free throw. Now, normally that's what you do. But here's the difference about 
Wilt. Wilt didn't shoot a free throw that way. Wilt shot all of his free throws underhanded. We've got to try again. He shot them all underhanded. Well, not going well. But he shot them all underhanded. 28 out of 32, 88% of, of his points were shot underhanded. He made that many of his 100 points. Now, here's something to consider, something crazy to kind of consider. What's amazing is that Wilt had his highest free throw percentage of the year that same year at 60%. He made 60% of his shots at the foul line, and they were all underhanded. Another famous NBA star, he was named Rick Barry. He shot that very same way, and he shot a staggering 90% from the free throw line. All underhanded. But listen, that was the last year that Wilt's free throw percentage was that high. For the rest of his career, that average dipped below 50% that he would miss one out of two times at best. And why did that happen? It's because he stopped shooting underhand. And why? Because his teammates made fun of him. And they said it wasn't manly enough to shoot free throws that way. He gave in to peer pressure. Had Chamberlain continued to shoot underhand uh, with that amount of success, his coach once said that they would never lose a game if he could do that. But he stopped trusting the best way of doing things. So what happened in his career, all the teams that ever played him, did they just foul Wilt all the time because he was going to throw a brick up at the free throw line? And so they know that if he missed, then they would get the free throw back. Like they would get the ball back because, you know, if you miss your free throw, the other team gets it, they might rebound it, whatever. And, and, and listen, Will, Will obviously didn't fall apart on the court. He had, didn't have a terrible career just because he stopped shooting underhanded. But, but the thing is, he didn't have the career he could have had if he had just stuck with what was working and what was the right thing. Somewhere, Rick Barry, the 90% free throw shooter, is yelling at Will, just trust me, it works. And what if all this time God is saying to you and me, what if he's saying like, hey, Just, just trust me with what you're doing, right? Hey, what I want you to, I want you to trust me with your life. You know, trust me with your life. Trust, trust me with your finances. Tr trust me that I'm going to provide. Trust me that this is the best way to do it. Trust me. Just trust me. And if we do that, if we could trust that this is the best way to do it, and over time we're going to start to make them. He says, just trust me. It's in those moments when we stop white-knuckling our life and trust that Jesus is telling the truth when he says this in Matthew 6, verse 26. He says, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Neither money or status will fill the void that aches inside us all. When Satan wants to convince us that they can... And so, at the, so with this is the prospect of, of job loss and different jobs and reduced income and maybe a change to your lifestyle. The first thing Satan will tell us to do, move away from God, move closer to money, move closer to the things that are, gonna, that, that are right here. He will tell us that trusting God is like shooting free throws underhanded. But can I tell you this? When you do that, you're, you're stopping to trust God. Listen, I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's caving into peer pressure. Like when you start to save your money the way God wants you to save, people are going to start saying, oh, don't do that. When you start giving to God first out of your finances, even when it doesn't make sense, people are going to say, what are you doing? Like all of these things, don't cave to peer pressure. 
Hang in there. People are going to tell you, give up on your marriage. Don't give in. Right? Just, just trust. Stick with what's going to be with the most successful. Stick with what God is telling you. Guys, it's time to start to trust Jesus. It's time to see that following him is better than anything in this world. It's time to trust him with our job, with our finances, our family, our marriages. It's time to see that his way is the best in these uncharted times. It's time to find our identity in Jesus and nothing but him. Because we are all going to trust something in our life. I just want us to to have you hear this today from me, that this is what God is telling you, that you should trust your life to the giver of life. If you are going to trust anything, trust your life to the giver of life, not the taker. Satan wants to take. He's there to steal and destroy. Jesus says it came to give you life and live it to the full, so trust your life to the giver of life. Do it the right way, even when it's hard. So as we turn our hearts toward communion, I just think it's such a great example for us to remember to trust Jesus. Just to trust him right where he's at and what he's done for us. It's funny with all this change. Even today was just an interesting day and continues to be an interesting day. <laughs> I was getting ready to, uh, to go get something to eat before service and as I was uh, getting ready to get, go to eat, I, I forgot my keys in my truck, and so I had to walk back inside and get my keys. The long walk of shame, because I parked for it really far away. I, I got in my truck, and then I drove, and I decided not to go to the place I was going to, and then I got, I parked, and uh, I, I sat in the parking lot, and then I, I got out and went, in the, went, went to go in, inside and realized that I needed a mask, so I walked back out to get my mask, and then went back in, and all the time I'm like, come on, I got to get to service, come on, like, I'm, come on, God, what's the deal? I go there, I get my stuff, get one more thing that I probably should have. You all know how that goes. I check out, I'm walking out to my car. And all of a sudden I hear behind me, Pastor Brian. I turn around, this woman pulls her, her mask below her chin. And she says, I knew I saw you. I said, hi, how are you? She says, my name is Maria. And I've really wanted to meet you because I needed to tell you that you have helped me draw closer to God. And God has told me that I'm supposed to step out in faith, that I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to go and I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, I'm supposed to live my life differently, even when it's hard. I just wanted you to know that. I just wanted to tell you that. And so in the parking lot, I prayed with this wonderful woman named Maria, who for some reason thought that she needed to see me, but God knew I needed to see her. And so he changed my timing. He changed where I went to eat. He changed what I, where my masks were at. He, he changed all of that so he could have this ordained time to meet this woman so I could be encouraged by her. And for some reason, she was encouraged by me. But I tell you all of this so that you can see that sometimes change is God orchestrating us to exactly where he needs us to be. Sometimes change is something that's difficult and hard. And sometimes we change to do things the way God tells us to do so we can trust him more, so we can grow closer to him. So we don't give in to peer pressure. So we don't miss out on what God has for us in our life. 
So my prayer for you, no matter where you're at right now, is that you'll just trust God, even in the middle of the changes. That you'll trust him that he is good and that he'll get you through. That you'll trust him with your finances and your job and your marriage and your kids and the unknown about the future. That you would trust him in all those things. Because God is always orchestrating divine moments for you and I so he can draw us closer to him. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.